This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. It is our regular show with consultant developmental pediatrician, Dr. Rajini Savanandan today. And she's joining me in the studio. Happy New Year. Kung si Chai, Dr. Rajini. How are you? Fine, thank you. Kung si Chai to everyone and Happy New Year. And uh, I know it's uh, everybody's still in sort of a holiday mode. And uh, I've picked a pretty um, weighty topic to, to um, sort of start off the working uh, week with, but an important one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about how to talk to your kids about mental health. And when we talk to each other or we read about it, um, whether in our social media feeds or we go online and, and such, when you come across the question, oh, what is mental health? You think you know the answer, yeah. but it's very different when you have to explain it to a child, whether it's a preschooler, perhaps a primary age um, kid or a teenager. So today I'm turning to Dr. Rajini for advice on how to talk to children of all ages about mental health. Why do we want to introduce this topic to them or start having these kinds of conversations with them, whether you're a parent or an educator? And also then how are we going to guide our kids, you know, when it comes to being aware of their emotions, when they're struggling, when do they need to reach out for help? And um, of course, I, I know you, you'll probably make the disclaimer, Dr. Regini, you're not a mental health professional. Yes. <laughs> But um, where you'll be coming from is because you understand children's development and uh, the developmental stages, how they experience challenges and how that would play into their mental health, their mental well-being. And of course, um, how parents, uh, you know, need to develop those dynamics and and those bonds with their children to talk to them about it. So if you have questions for Dr. Rajini or if you'd like to share your own thoughts uh, when it comes to children and mental health, you can call us at 0377332900. You can also WhatsApp us at 0187898899. And I'm starting with this question, Dr. Rajini, because I will confess um, I was faced with it from my child and I didn't know how to answer it. (laughs) So, you know, I, I a, a youngish child, right? Um, let's say at the very oldest uh, primary age, asks, "What is mental health? How do we actually explain it to them?" Yeah, I think you know um, it, it's out there now, right, Shawik? So most children who are school in the school-going age uh, somehow or other will see something pop up about mental health, etc. So um, I think it's great that we're talking about it. Um, I think first and foremost. We ourselves must understand that, you know, we are whole beings. We are not divided into physical and mental or psychological and social and emotional. We are, we are whole be- beings and everything is intertwined. So, you know, a lot of children relate to physical health problems like, oh, you've got the flu in inverted commas. Um, oh, you've got a tummy bug. Oh, you've got, you know, so physical um, for physical ailments, we, we have terms that we use that children understand. And and you're right, um, you know, the word mental health is being brandished about a lot more. Um, I think, you know, before the pandemic, we were talking a lot about resilience, building um, emotional intelligence, etc. Um, maybe those words were, were big words that kids just sort of blocked off mm. from their minds. But the word mental... Um, always strikes a chord and somehow or other it's been stigmatised so it comes across as being something negative. Yes. And I think the first thing we've got to 
to explain to our children when they hear the word mental and health is that just like we describe things like um, the flu or a tummy bug or a rash or grandma's got, um, you know, arthritis or something like that, 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 you know, that we're giving names to physical problems um, and that when we talk about mental-related uh, illnesses, they actually have different names for different conditions. But actually, you know, just like you have symptoms with um, physical illness, you also have symptoms with um, mental illness. Um, you know, firstly, we shouldn't let children feel that that word mental health is a taboo word. And that when they hear that word, that's basically describing that somebody maybe has some health problems that's affecting them the way a physical illness is affecting them. So I think that's the first thing that we need to make kids understand and that we need to make children understand that the things that we do to our body don't just affect how our body works in terms of physical movements, but also in terms of inside and how we feel, um, in terms of, um, you know, whether our heart beats faster or whether we breathe faster. And that when, when we don't feel happy inside, it can also come up as physical symptoms as well. Yeah, and I think that's that's important that we teach our children that both physical illness and mental illness sometimes can show itself in similar ways. Mm. Okay, so having an upset stomach may actually mean that you don't feel good, maybe because there is actually bacteria or some sort of germ in your tummy, but it could also mean that you don't feel well, you're not happy, and your body is also trying to tell you that it's not happy. And we all know that children generally, when they're not happy, um, you know, what they describe to us as a headache, mummy, my head hurts, mummy, I have a stomachache, may not actually be a stomachache, but actually butterflies in the stomach when you feel anxious. Um, the headache may be because you're stressed about something. And so they don't tell us I've got a mental illness. Um, they don't tell us words like, okay, maybe now children will start to use words like, I think he's depressed or I think I'm depressed or I think I have OCD. That seems to be the, the term I hear amongst a lot of children nowadays who come to my clinic, sometimes describing the younger siblings. And I, I, I can see that because I see parents using those words. You know, I think he's got a bit of OCD like me. So when we start to use terms like this, children will also use it. Mm -hmm. So I think we shouldn't be surprised if our children come home and say, uh, mommy, I think Adam in school has got mental problems or mental illness or mental health, you know. Um, so I think we shouldn't stigmatize the word. So how we use the word is very important. Mm. Now, you know, mental health, of course, uh, you talked about it in the context of helping children understand when something is perhaps not right. Mm. Uh, thinking about it the same way as you would think about when your stomach's not feeling well and yeah. all of that, right? Yeah. But um, mental well-being? Yeah. So mm. that, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I suddenly said, thought to myself when you were recapping to me what I was saying, I was using it also in a very negative term, right? <laughs> but so in the same way, you know, I think we should talk about it in terms of um, that mental health is not 
a negative thing. It's not an illness. It's just describing your well-being, just like we describe physical health. So, you know, whether we want to use the term well-being, which is a longer word which children may not sort of gel with, um, is also, but when we talk to them about how we look after ourselves, we should talk to them about our physical wellness as well as our mental wellness, yeah? Mm. Because if you think about it, what are the strategies we we use when dealing with uh, people who actually have things like mood problems or uh, stress management? We also encourage things like make sure you have a good diet. We know that, you know, the gut and the brain are very um, interlinked and gut health also reflects you know, your your brain health, in effect. Um, we know that, you know, physical exercise is very important, not just in terms of your heart, in terms of fitness, but also in terms of how you manage stress and, you know, the, the balance of, of all the different um, neurotransmitters in your brain, um, and that can affect mood, etc. So we need to make children understand, just as we emphasize to adults these are not two separate things in your body mm. it's it's one mm. and so the terms you use so i guess we should always when we're talking to children talk about words in a positive light mm. yeah. so speaking of mood um how do emotion words come in right yeah. um is it that happy means good mental health sad means no good um especially again in the context of seeing children grow and develop not so much as a mental health professional i, I think if we're talking about a diagnosis that's mm. something else altogether yeah so you know we talk about emotional literacy nowadays right um but i think you know for children to understand emotions they need adults to help them understand them you know Shall we go? Time and time again, we see this. I mean, I don't have sons, um, but I see a lot of parents who come and, you know, they tell their kids um, when they're getting their injections, you know, uh, don't cry, uh, be braver. Uh, it's only an injection, what? Uh, okay, it's going to make you stronger and better, so don't cry. But I actually tell the kids, you can cry, you can scream, because it is painful. I'm scared of needles. So you can do all that, but when I'm holding your arm, don't move, okay? <laughs> because um, if you move when the needle is there, you're going to get a big fat bruise tomorrow and the pain's going to last longer. But you can cry and scream. You can kick me with the other leg, so it's okay. But just don't move and don't move me. So, you know, I think we've got to get away from saying things like, oh, you're a boy, don't cry. Hmm. Um, suppress your emotions. Yeah, suppress your emotions. Or you're a girl. Why are you always crying? Nobody want to be your friend. You know, we... we, we we tend to suppress um, what children are feeling. So the first thing is that parents need to um, acknowledge their children's emotions. We One of the important things about emotional literacy is teaching the appropriate words to children, um, you know, to for them to understand that they're feeling that way because of this feeling, you know. So, for example, we know that when children are scared, not all children cry. Some children will actually scream, shout, throw a tantrum because they're trying to run away from that thing that's scaring them, okay? And so when we say things like, don't shout, um, come here, uh, come with me, you know, we're not actually addressing the emotion. What we should be saying is, oh, you're scared. Okay, okay, you're scared. All right, come here, give me a hug, okay? Because what you're teaching them is, if you're scared, you seek help. 
And when children are young, they don't seek help automatically unless we've always done that from infancy. Mm. Okay? Um, you know, when we pick a baby up when they're crying, we're sort of cuddling them and say, there, there, mummy's here. Yeah? Somehow or other, we forget that once the children are mobile and moving around, that we still have to go to children when they fall down and cry so that they know later on if they fall down and they've hurt themselves, they can come and seek comfort. Okay? And that we assign words. Or for when they're screaming because... You know, sisters pulled away their toy and they're angry and they're shouting and screaming. And you go there and you say, okay, you're angry. Why? Because, you know, a couple or Cheche pulled your toy away. All right, come on, let's go and try and get it back. And, you you know, so Mm -hmm. you've already told them, yes, you're angry. I acknowledge your feeling. This is what we can do about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Instead of shouting from the other side of the room. Share, share. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And this is particularly important when when you're dealing with toddlers who are just about learning language, yes. you know, from from that six month when they start to associate words like no, by, mm. with, with actions and reactions. Um, you know, that's when those words are very, very, very important. Yeah, and you solidify yes. the, those connections yeah. at that age, right? Yeah. Um, call us if you have thoughts or questions, anything you'd like to share about children and mental health, if uh, you have experienced having to talk to kids about mental health or come across their questions or the way that they use these terms. Um, you can call us at 0377332900 or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. In the studio with me today, consultant developmental pediatrician Pediatrician Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan about how to talk to your kids uh, about mental health and um, all the things that come with uh, everything that you read about mental health these days. So stay tuned. We will continue the conversation right here on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. Dr. Rajini Sarvanandan, consultant, developmental pediatrician, in the studio with me today about how to talk to your kids about mental health. You can call us at 0377332900 if you have thoughts or questions for Dr. Rajini or WhatsApp 018789 that can be in the form of a message or a voice note as well on WhatsApp. Um, you know, we've already kind of um, gone across and we started about um, building up those connections uh, when a child is still an infant, how you comfort them and how you help them to acknowledge emotions and um, sort of teach them that, um, you know, uh, what what they do when they're in trouble, uh, you, you know, if you show them that you provide that comfort and help, um, you know, that sets that foundation for them. We've talked about the toddler age as well. Um, does it change as kids get older? And especially, I think, as they start to look elsewhere for information, for companionship and uh, turn to peers instead or social media today, as is the case. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we know that, you know, as they approach um, the teenage years or the, the, the adolescent phase, which... You know, it seems to be getting younger and younger. It's not mm. the teen, right? It's the tween phase yes. where, you know, um, social media um, friends, friends actually start to play a bigger role in um, how they understand what's going on around them. Um, I think this is particularly true, especially if um, that that bond or that communication between 
um, adults and children uh, are not very strong. Yeah. And and so, I mean, just, just overall, we do know that, you know, ch- as they move into the adolescent phase, peers become very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting, though, Shawik, is um, although we perceive that, but actually when we look at children who, um, you know, surveys have shown that actually a lot of children worry not just about peers, but actually family worries are often first. So that tells you that the back of their minds, families are still very, very important. Uh, But of course, you know, peers start to play a bigger role, not just peers, but also teachers. Um, How many times as a parent, you know, you've heard your kids say, but teachers said this. Um, uh, So teacher must be right and um, mummy's the wrong, Mm. you know, even though the mummy might be a teacher in the same school, um, (laughs) we we do find that, right? Um, Or never mind if mummy is the doctor, but if teacher says this, um, teacher must be right. So, you know, you you see that children start to have different role models Mm. as they go in. And definitely when they enter um, that preschool phase, you know, teacher, everybody wants to please the teacher, be the of teacher's course, pet, yeah. etc. And then it moves on to the early primary school years. Then we find that in the upper primary, sort of standard four, 10, 11, 12, the friends start to play a bigger and bigger role. Um, which is why it's very important that we need to empower children so that they can be good role models for each other as well. Um, and so this is a, a, a societal thing. You know, and we, it, yes, it starts with the home, but it's also important as a community that we have these conversations. And I think, I mean, you might get some parents who's, who feel like, okay, this is natural. They will be with their friends, let them be. Mm. Or some parents who might sort of rush in and, you know, know you're going to get um, negative um, peer pressure. Yeah. I, I mean, what's the balance there? It's a hard one. And I think as long as you have a good good bond, good um, interaction with your children. Um, You know, I think where that happens, where children are not scared to express their fears, their doubts, their, their, um, you know, if we as adults take what they say seriously and don't put down what they say, Mm. they will be happier to share with us. You know, as I mean, I'm guilty of this as a mother as well, you know, although I'm giving the advice when your kids come home and they they talk about, you know, their friends having relationship issues and how upset their friend is. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, gosh, you guys are only 14 and 15 and 16. You know, you haven't mm-hmm. you haven't survived marriage life yet, you know, <laughs> but but, you know, you, you've got to learn to not to trivialize yes. that for them because yeah. these are big moments and. And so if you have those connections and you can, you know, the common thing is, you know, you hear your, your child saying, oh, you know, mom so-and-so is depressed because she just broke up with so-and-so or she didn't get included in this group that, that went for this party and she's so depressed now she's cut herself, you know, mm. not uncommon. Um, it's happened before, I think. Um, and and we see a lot of that on, on social media. Now, if we trivialise that all the time and we don't take the time to sit down and have these conversations, um, that will become a problem. Um, and, you know, we all know how... Social media is not regulated. I mean, I think, you know, that I don't know if many parents or people have followed the the case in the UK of the girl who took her life um, 
And, you know, there were lots of people saying, well, you as a parent should have taken um, more control of the situation. But it can be very hard when you have a teen um, who spends more time in social media than actually being able to mm. talk to you, then that's where they're going to get their information and their knowledge from. In the perennial question, right? Do you follow them or not? <laughs> um, hard one. Um I would say if you are not following them, you need people who are responsible following them. Mm. So an older cousin, an older sibling, um, you know, to sort of keep an eye or even a friend. Um, so, you know, in, in in my personal thing was with my eldest, we followed her and we set down some ground rules, um, which, you know, luckily she stuck to and then um, did break once or twice. But, you know, she's a she was a, a teen, but, you know, learned from mistakes. And then um, maybe out of, um, well, if mum and dad gave me those rules, I'm going to make sure my sibling has those right. rules too. You know, why should I only yes. be the one who suffers? Whether it's that or whether they're really looking out for mm -hmm. their younger sibling, then you find they police the next one. Um, you know, I have a big gap between my eldest and my youngest. So by the time the eldest went through that whole teen phase, and became a bit more sensible, you know, we didn't have to follow the youngest who joined, um, what's the Instagram, because, you know, I hate social, well, not that I hate social media, <laughs> I just find it so difficult to, to, to manage social media. So, you know, so it, the older sibling, older sibling then stepped in, mm. but I have friends who got their friends to follow their children. Mm. And that's okay. But we do need eyes out there. You know, just like in the old days where neighbours looked out for neighbours' children. Yeah. I know that doesn't happen so much nowadays, yeah. but... So so we need to find a tribe, a community yes. to yes. look out for each other in this new in this new playground that kids are, are, are in, right? And you talked about empowering kids to be role models for yes. each other. Yes. And that's got to come from um, children themselves first being familiar with their emotions, like you've said, mm -hmm. that emotional literacy mm -hmm. and knowing how to cope yeah. when they're struggling yeah. um, and knowing how to respond to um, others who are hurting them or, or yeah. they're struggling with, right? Yeah. All the relationship kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, people have this idea that um, you know, a lot of schools now have started to take that approach of peer mentoring, yeah, amongst teens, which, which is great, yeah. Um, but sometimes I've come across um, counsellors saying things like, oh, but it's so hard to find the right mentor. And you often find in many schools, they look towards the prefects or, you know, those who've been appointed to leadership mm -hmm. positions mm -hmm. as the mentors. But actually, we should look again. We should get, you know, sometimes it's the children who have fallen down but have bounced back, they may make better mentors than those who come from the sort of perfect family where, you know, everything's hunky-dory. And they've not and, really experienced hardship. Not, yes, mm. yeah. And sometimes we need to look at those children because they they have probably uh, 
better resilience than than those who haven't faced hardship. Mm, Absolutely. Now, we have a very interesting question on WhatsApp. I love this. How do parents talk to a four-year-old girl who takes a long time to finish her meals? And and, um, I mean, I love it because obviously I'm a parent. I relate. But also, I recall we did a show together. We Mm. talked about kids who are having feeding issues and sleep issues Mm. and how that's related to you know, their mental well-being yeah. as well. Yeah. So do you want to take this one? So, so you know, you have to ask yourself why my child is taking a long time to finish her meals. The question is, um, when did you start your, to allow your child to self-feed? Because the children who start to self-feed from a younger age, they learn to eat faster. And those who have been brought up being fed and have... Um, distractions such as TV, video, Mm. screen distractions um, or distractions that are not controlled. So it's okay. We say it's okay to have story time during a mealtime as long as you pause and the kid has to eat. Mm. Not that you tell one story and then it's one mouthful and another story and another mouthful. So, So all this has to come you have to look at it from that perspective. I think um, you know the best thing is again peer modeling. Get your child to eat in school. You know sometimes seeing their friends eat and get to play spurs them to eat faster. Mm-hmm. And you also need to look and make sure that you haven't um, put too much on their plate. So they look at that plate and they think I'm never going to finish it. It's a bit like the worksheet, right? If you so you give a child ten worksheets, they're like. Oh, I'm never going to finish it. And then they procrastinate and procrastinate mm. and don't start. Mm. Whereas if you say to them, okay, you only need to do half the worksheet, then you can have a break. You know, that helps. Mm. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things we say when we talk about mental health is that, you know, that you must have the things you can do. And we need to em- empower children from a young age. What you eat, the sleep, how much time you spend on your gadgets, all that affects your mental well-being or mental wellness. Mm-hmm. So, so, And we cannot look at it as um, that will settle itself in isolation. Right? Yeah. It, it's all tied together. Yeah. But also, um, what about children with sort of different different developmental capacities, mm-hmm. right? Uh, children who are non-typically developing, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, um, how important is the understanding of mental health and well-being for them? And how do parents talk about it? Um, so I just had the discussion today with with a family, actually. Um, uh, you know, every child understands things in a different way. Yeah. And we have to see how that child processes information and um, learns things. So, you know, you've heard about the the child who processes things um, by listening, mm-hmm. um, by visually. Uh, visually, or through movement and watching and experiencing things. Um, I mean, generally, most kids, uh, most of us use all, all sensory methods to try and learn things and pick things up. But of course, certain things... Um, uh, for certain people, especially maybe kids on the spectrum, we find that visuals help them. Not all of them, but most of them. I think most kids today actually rely a lot on visuals to help them process what goes on around them. Um, so then we would need to use that. Now, we have to be very careful. People, um, you know, people often use emojis, right? Um, happy, angry, sad, yeah. the, the usual emojis mm. to to try and show children. 
And what we've learned over the years is for some children, those emojis, those cartoon emojis or um, cartoon versions of emotions actually don't make sense to them because that's not what they see in real life. And actually what makes sense to them is if emotions are presented in a scenario. So, um, you know, when when you're trying to teach them that, you know, the word angry, that you present different scenarios and if possible, even videos or scenarios that involve them, pictures that involve them looking angry. Right. Okay. And we talk about how we feel when we're angry, you know, like we feel our hearts going really fast and you put, you see, like like now I'm getting really angry now, you know, and, and you touch, you know. Mm. So little things like that help them understand emotions mm. better. Um, of course, certain, um, some children do relate to cartoons when it comes to how am I going to help myself if I have a problem. So it, again, you know, there's some good, good cartoons out there like, you know, trying to tell children that it's okay to feel sad. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and it's one of those days that you feel, oh, oh my God, I have to go to work. I have to, you know, do all these things today. And you, you have that dreaded feeling mm. and, you know, you, you drag yourself through and you know you haven't put your 100%. All of us have days like that and so do children. So we sometimes need to say to children, it's okay, you're having a blue day or you're having a sad day. Come here, give me a hug, you know. Um, and tomorrow will be a better day maybe or you might still feel blue, but it's okay. Yeah. We have um, we have another question here. Um, how do you get a, a child with ADHD to follow simple instructions such as um, on a daily basis, brushing teeth uh, in the morning, I presume, similar routines like this? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we talked about visuals. Sometimes it, it, for a lot of children with um, ADHD, um, attention is an issue. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how how old your child is, but for a lot of them, um, you know, when you're when you're talking in long sentences, they may only get um, excerpts of it mm. and keywords in there. Okay. Um, and so sometimes we we use visuals. So have a set of visuals. Um, you know, in the morning, this is what you're going to do before you know you go to school or etc. So. Um, you know, I think initially that visual may have to be paired with, um, uh, okay, if you achieve all that, you get a little star and, you know, um, you can collect stars and have token depending on, on what how old your child is. She's eight. Um, okay, yes. so she's eight years old. So she probably already understands that that's what her routine should be. Um, but, you know, she may need reminders for that. Mm. Okay. And um, yeah, maybe if it's something that's really challenging, using using like a token system, like, okay, if you get this right, you know, two days in a row or three days in a row, we can exchange the token, the, the stars for something that you can, you know, go. And then you want to fade that off as she gets better and better at it and switch the tokens to something else that's more challenging, maybe. Yeah. I um I have a tip to share. Uh, it may work. Um, songs. Um, yeah. If your child has a favorite set of songs, that one song is for one, you know, part of the routine. Mm. And as they hear it, move to the next song. Uh, it sort of um, motivates them to. It's their own. Um, yeah, internal yeah. clock, I suppose. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And and that probably cheers you up in the morning as well, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh, um, she said, try the token, but fail. Okay, so try... Okay, so sometimes it's how you use the token system as well. 
um, if children have to wait so long to be able to be rewarded, they they won't bother. So you, it, it really depends <clears throat> on the child. So like you say, you know, that the, the reward can be in the morning instead of mummy listening to her radio station on the way to work or to school, you get to choose a song that you get to play, you know, something like that, as long as it's not distracting or disruptive. Mm, yeah. So a very immediate reward. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And rewards don't have to be material. In fact, we say rewards that are not material are probably better, meaning that, you know, it's not a special material reward. But if you say, you know, uh, you that day, they get to choose what, mummy cooks out of a list of different foods sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that helps. Um, you know, just just I just want to sort of look at how um, in the course of your work, Dr. Rajini, how do mental health issues surface um, in, in the children that you see? Um, and, and I'm saying this because um, you would see kids who are referred to you because um, they are struggling in terms of behavioural and um, daily things, things at school and, and, and all of that, uh, perhaps at home, that parents would be able to relate to. And you you are not a mental health professional, and yet you would see um, where, uh, I guess, the risks would be. Yeah. I, I believe that as doctors, just as we, we have said that, you know, we should not separate mental from physical well-being, um, Sadly, in, in, in university, when we go through the curriculum, we are taught things as systems, yeah? Uh, the gastro system, the cardiac system, etc. Um, and then, you know, we go to the wards and we go into, you know, specialist yeah. clinics mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, we have a psychiatry posting, which may be very, very short, um, but sometimes things are not put together. Yeah. yeah? But what I've learned um, over the years just from practice and, and from my, my mentors is that you can't separate physical and mental well-being. Mm-hmm. And as much as I, yes, I'm not a mental health professional, um, you know, we all need to learn how to deal with um, uh, uh, people as a whole. Um, and we see this very much in children, you know. Um, a lot of times children come in and, you know, they've got stomach aches, headaches, etc. And when it starts to be a recurring thing, is of course we want to rule out the physical stuff, and even I do, um, that we realise that actually there's more to it than, than just a physical symptom. Um, in the course of my work, um, I see a lot of children... Um, and and I don't separate it. I don't separate social, emotional behavior. I, I try and look at it as a, a holistic thing. So, for example, you know, um, families come in and they say, oh, his tantrums have got really bad. Or, um, you know, um, this week he's he's been so disruptive at school. And so we look at okay, let's see why this week he's been so disruptive at school. So, for example, this morning with a family, you know, they were saying that, um, um, you know, he's so chatty at home, but when he goes into school, he just keeps quiet. Why Why does that happen? And so we look at it and we realise that, okay, people around him talk 
much more than him. Um, his peers are now speaking in sentences, asking questions, having conversations. They're six years old, and so they will. And he probably feels very overwhelmed. And, you know, um, he probably gets asked direct questions and then he's not able to answer it and teachers sort of um, maybe don't wait for him to give his answers and so he's decided that I'm not going to talk, you know. Um, so this is a, a... And then he's now want, not wanting to go to school, yeah. So um, I would say the reason for not wanting to go to school stems from his anxiety mm. of being in that setting, um, and if we if we keep forcing him to continue as is and ask him to talk and force him, we're just going to drive this child uh, even mm. more stressed. You yeah. know that anxiety is going to become a disorder. Not um, you know we're probably still at that that because he's not he's talking in other settings. Yeah, that's right. So you know yes we can give give a name to it. And, you know but uh, you know what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm is what we need to 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 work out. And um, when would um, parents need to perhaps think about when it does become a disorder, mm. the need to have their child see a mental health professional? Then? Yeah, so that's often, a, even in my line of work, even though parents see me regularly, the minute I suggest, oh, I think it's time to see a psychologist, I, it's got better. Um, parents are like, oh, why a psychologist? We're seeing you already. And I'm saying, I'm not a psychologist and I can't see your child and you every week. And, you know, we, we need more. We need more strategies. We need maybe to involve some play therapy. Um, you know, with adults, they use um, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, you know, and with teens as well. Um, with young children, Play therapy is often very successful working through anxiety disorders, etc. And it can work with even nonverbal children. I've seen that, you know, with um, one of the, the children I work with who's not verbal. He doesn't talk. Uh, but when his behavior became very disruptive at one point in time and nobody could understand why. And when he went to a, a psychologist who practiced play therapy, we worked out that, ah, Okay, he, you know, he's starting to feel isolated and etc. So we were able to work through that. I, I would say, don't wait until something becomes a disorder. When you're starting to see that your child is looking unhappy, and you know, start to reach out. I know in Malaysia, it's, you know, we we don't have a system of, of referrals or things like that. Yeah, there are more. Um, mental health professionals out there. There are more psychologists, um, counselling psychologists, clinical psychologists, etc. Um, I think you did a very good show with Dr. Elvin mm. um, about where to start. That's right. I think that was for adults, but I think it applies to children mm. as well. Um, I think, you know, if you have a family doctor, start with them. Hopefully doctors now have a little network of people that they can refer families to who work across the board, not just with adults, but also children. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, what's important is when you your child gets referred to therapists such as that, that it's not about your child going for therapy, but it's about working with the whole family. Mm. Um, and that's very important. And talking to the kid about that, that they don't, they aren't made to feel like something is wrong. Yeah. So um, for the children that I see that I 
you know, um, who understand and I, you know, they, they see me and they see me often enough. I actually say to them, you know, I know I've, you know, uh, the parents always say, oh, Dr. Rajini will help you. She helped you talk. She helped you do this. She helped you do that. And I always say, no, it wasn't me. I just told your parents where to take you. And, and you know, this teacher and that person, this therapist helped you. Um, but, you know, so they come in thinking, and I do have kids who come in thinking and say, uh, Dr. Rajini, can you help me please um, uh, get better? And and I, always, I do have to say to them, you know, at the end of the day, we can, just like we helped you to be able to talk last time and we helped you to be able to do your writing, I'm going to suggest that mommy takes you to see someone who will help you manage how you feel and how you behave. And I think that's very important because what we want, you know, with, with even for adults, mm. it's about empowering us to know that we can be in control of what happens to us and our body and our mind and and what you know, what happens to us in the longer term. Absolutely. Uh, and not have to rely on somebody yes. to do it for yes. us. And and this is very important that we empower children as well. Mm. So that um, podcast that you mentioned, uh, you mm. can look it up, uh, My Mind and Me, uh, if you search uh, on our website or on our app for that podcast. Um, a final message, Dr. Rajini? Um, thank you, Shawik, for bringing up this conversation. Um, and, um, you know, it's funny, it, the beginning of the year, I always have, you know, SOSs about um, issues uh, when kids start back in school, especially if they've had longish breaks, etc. Um, and also probably the weather does something to our brains in December. Um, but, well, there is some correlation, right? Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I think we shouldn't feel uh, worried about using words um, to explain to children, but remember that we are whole beings and our children need to remember that and that what we do to our bodies also affects our mind. And remember that we need to empower children to know that they are in control of their emotions and how they express them. Mm. And, and you know, let's learn to to understand that and help children understand emotions and how to deal with them. Thank you so much, Dr. Rajini. I've been speaking to consultant developmental pediatrician, Dr. Rajini Savanandan. Um, and if you want to check out this podcast again, if you missed any part of it, it's talking to your kids about mental health on our website or on our BFM app. This has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.